Welcome to Novo Morganum, a podcast series from Uppsala University, produced live by researchers with an interest in interdisciplinary action and novel methods. In this podcast, you will meet guests who work in very diverse ways with academic knowledge production, and often with expertise in its usefulness. From blue sky research to applied science, academic entrepreneurship or policy development. Today is our fourth episode with Jane Wallerud, a highly regarded serial entrepreneur and investor who engages personally and practically in her startups of choice, such as Klarna and Grafmatech. She was also a member of the Swedish Government Innovation Council and her two most recent investments are still in stealth mode, one which is based on deep tech from Uppsala University. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. So, you graduated from Stanford University, and was that in 1980? 1983, it's well back now. Yeah, and then you came to Sweden when you were just 20 years old, and... What do you mainly recall from this move? Well, the anticipation of a California going girl moving to some place near the North Pole was that in cold weather that if I forgot my gloves, then my fingers would literally fall off before I managed to get back inside to get my gloves on. Okay. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and how was it then? I guess that you did Not need quite gloves. that cold. <laughs> <laughs> One can forget them and be in pain, I guess. Yeah, pockets work. Yeah. But uh, looking back at your successful journey within business life in Sweden, it seems as if you were meant to get to where you are today from very early on. Uh, <laughs> oh, goodness, but, no. Yeah. But um, how much do you feel that you steered yourself into entrepreneurship and how much was that a choice out of necessity? Well, when I came to Sweden, my husband was starting a company, a consulting company. It did really rather very well after a while. And as many of you know, when you're starting a company, there is no money. So I needed to get a job and also start another company just to get enough money into the household. So, no, I don't think I really steered myself. I think the expectation from my expectation, at least, was that my husband's company would and bring most of the income and that I would be a sales manager of some kind for uh, computer software. That was the idea. Mm. Didn't turn out that way. No, because uh, how, um, I mean, when do you consider yourself uh, taking your major entrepreneurial step? Um, oh, when I was eight, maybe. That was my first one. <laughs> I joined my big sister's company. Um, I started a few when I was in Sweden early on, uh, and then um, my husband sold a company, and I didn't need to work quite as hard. So I looked for a place with a lot of really great engineers and deep technology, because I enjoy that, and where I perhaps wouldn't have to work quite as hard as I had for Atelia, mm. uh, and found a place called Ericsson. Uh, <laughs> Uh, where they were selling a computer programming language named Airline. And after I was there two months, then um, the big changes, and we ended up starting a company out of there, a gang of us. That was not planned. 
No. And uh, it, it was, was 1998 when those plans started, and we started the very first days of 1999. Mm. And uh, when you started, I mean, what um, I've heard that it was a bit emotional, that you really wanted to show that you could do this, or... Uh, well, so Ericsson had spent... I guess, around 15 years and a lot of very talented people's time and a lot of money making a programming language named Erlang that worked incredibly well. But not many people wanted to learn that language um, and start work at Ericsson. So the top management decided to stop people from using Erlang. And the gang that I was in at Ericsson, who had started, who made this programming language, was upset about their life's work being wasted. Uh, and so, I guess I was the one who persuaded Ericsson's management to let it out open source. At the time, open source was unknown for most of us, and um, we started, and it was gone really well. Air Airline is now, you know. WhatsApp is, is built with Erlang, and Facebook is to a great extent built with Erlang, and Google is to a great extent built with Erlang, and I think it's something more than 90% of all internet traffic touches Erlang. It's been an enormous success. Mm. Yes, um, and uh, then um, you moved into, you know, starting also your own uh, business called Blue Tail. Yeah, we were 12 of us from Ericsson who started a company together called Blue Tail. Mm. And that thing, that was a good startup. We sold it after 18 months for a lot of money to a Canadian company called Nortel, who was, which was Canadian's largest company at the time. And uh, unfortunately, the CEO and the CFO of Nortel were then convicted of bookkeeping crime, fraud, and, um, of course, the shares that we were paid with in order weren't quite worth as much when the, when the books were fabricated. Yeah. But it was still enough for you to, you know, leave that behind you and go further and, yeah, and be more yeah. independent in your own entrepreneurial career. Yeah, I got to spend, oh, a couple of years at home uh, with my daughter. Um, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Start business. Start doing business investing as an angel investor. That was fun. Sure. Yeah. And so since then, um, uh, was it very different to work with entrepreneurship in the late 1990s in comparison to today? You think? Oh, people know much more, including me, uh, about how to do this. There's so much, and there's so much knowledge about on the internet and in places like this one. Uh, People know better. Yeah. And the scale is much bigger, much faster than it was then. It's a huge difference. So you mean the scale of number of entrepreneurial opportunities that are created or taken? Or what do you mean the scale of the actual The scale of the, of the biggest startups, they can become much bigger than they could then. Okay. Mm. Much bigger, much faster. Yeah. And why do you think that is the case then? Oh, but everybody's global first. You can And people address global needs. Spotify is first it was all about music and now it's about all audio. Mm. Um, 
So it's the digitalization also, maybe. Yeah, it's digitalization. It's it's the fact that most of us in the world have supercomputers in our pockets. Mm. Mm. Have you also then seen new methods for tech transfer been developed? The yeah, there's been a fair amount. Um, actually, for Bluetail, we were asked to write a business plan, 20 pages of text. Uh, that is no longer necessary. There's... Uh, some method called the Lean Startup, which is very important. Uh, there's also a lot of documents available that we didn't have um, that are available for free. Uh, if you're in the States, it's from Y Combinator. And if you're in Sweden, it's called startupdocs.se. There's mm. also Norway and Finland and the Baltic countries. Mm. Um, so a lot of these things are available now that just weren't available before. It's mm. great. Yeah. Much easier. Yeah. So you think that maybe, you know... Uh, can anyone learn these methods and uh, do entrepreneurship or um, is it still something that requires uh, more either uh, more academic knowledge or less academic knowledge? I think a lot of people can start companies, okay, of varying kinds. Uh, the people who have the opportunity of starting something really very large, I think they're a little special. Mm. Um, and that's not me, okay? Mm. Um, yes, I think they're a little special. I think that a lot of people can learn how to be entrepreneurs. I think that you have to have a group. It can't be just one. It's often very difficult to be just one person. You have to be several people who together have the skills needed together to actually do this. Uh, and it's better not to one one person alone is not strong. You need to be two or three at least. Mm. So who were you in the group when you did do entrepreneurship before going into investments? I was always the CEO. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Sales sales kind of person. Mm. What more do you think is important in the role of the CEO in a startup? It's a lot about leadership. It's about um, trust and openness and building structures, mm. and making sure that you don't take all the decisions yourselves. Mm. Yeah. So then after selling Blue Tail for 152 million US dollars, I think. Something uh, like that. Yeah, and, and sharing this, uh, did you then move directly into investments, or was that then when you had a bit of time with, with your daughter? Well, to begin with, I guess I paid back my debt to society. Um, the other parents in my daughter's class had driven kids to practices and baked for the Christmas market and all sorts of things that I had not done. Right? So, okay, I'll take the kiddie basketball team and make their uh, bookkeeping on the computer rather than actual books in pen. And I will go into the fifth grade class where she is and teach kids English and do experiments with them. And uh, that worked really well. It was a lot of fun. And after a couple of years of that, I felt that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm even with everybody else now. That's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a good way of thinking. Jane is well known in Sweden for only making investments in companies where she feels a personal connection to the founders and their ideas, which makes her ready to engage in hands-on work for example, to help out with practicalities, such as packing lenses in envelopes to be sent by post around the world, as she did as a business angel for the startup Lensway. 
Is this emphasis on your personal connection something you have brought with you from your education in psychology at Stanford? No, it was... Uh, when I started to invest, I started to invest in various different companies. Some of them I could help, needed my help, were willing to take my help, and some were not. And after a few years, something like eight, <laughs> I looked back at the companies that I had invested in, which by that time was a fair number, 15 or so, and looked at which ones had done well and noticed that there was a really strong correlation between how much I'd actually worked in the startup and how well it had gone, which means a couple of things. One is I don't pick investments very well because other people can invest just money and it works just fine for them, not for me. Okay. And the other thing is possibly that the companies that are happy to accept my help are also coachable and people I really enjoy to be with, and that is probably in itself a quality that's important. So nowadays... I and my husband and my daughter, we work together, all actually make that decision. It's, will I be happy to spend the next five years of my life, or at least half time, with these people going through amazing trouble? And that's, that, that's the answer. It has to be yes there. Mm. Mm. So um, do you think this is common? I mean, when you meet other investors, and we know there are Investors at different stages, uh, so They're all different. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. And uh, you see, you're more like a co-founder. But let's say then, investors like yourself uh, who act as co-founders, uh, do you talk about this personal engagement with them in your community, or is it, uh, you know, do you find yourself different in this regard? I would say that we're generally different. People don't quite get it that it is actually this way. If I have the label investor on me, people do not expect me to put up the mail servers like I did last week for the company I'm helping you start. Mm. <laughs> so is that something you discuss with the entrepreneurs who oh approach yeah, they, you? They, they need to know, if if we're interested, then they actually need to know that this is the deal, that they get money and they get one of us. Mm. And we don't generally do one without the other. No. Um, so how is that when you discuss uh, then in the community of investors in Sweden or internationally? I mean, because the common um, knowledge that I teach in classes, for example, is is not this one that, yes, an investor will come or a co-founder. Uh, of course, a co-founder is normally seen as someone who is there from the beginning, shaping the idea and so on, and you do enter those early stages. Uh, but still on the outlook of your uh, company and, and so on. One can't guess that you would go in. So I'm just wondering, um, in the in community of uh, investors or even the venture capitalists who would come in after you, do they know about this role that you are playing in the companies? Well, so we will go in, Ed, Carolyn and I, and give them a certain amount of money and, and say, okay, so what are you going to do and buy when? What are the three most important things? And then give them an extra certain amount of time to get there. And then if they make it by then, then uh, we will say, great. And now we'll bring in friends who have the, you get another tranche of money from us, but you also probably need more money. And you're a company that needs a patent expert. So here, let's bring in a patent expert. And you need a lawyer or you need a communications person or you need a, 
you need a you need a battery expert, you know, whatever it is. And okay, we'll find those people and then we'll, we'll bring them in to invest and be part and help out. And those people generally are our friends and they do know the way we work. Mm. The general investment community, uh, community um, no, they will look at us as investors and then be surprised and a bit upset perhaps about us asking for options for our work, for instance. Mm. Um, but uh, generally it works out fine. Um, it's just a, oh, you're like that. Well, that's strange. Right? Others, mm. investors, often will think about diversifying a portfolio, mm. which means they want to put a little bit of money into a lot of different companies mm. and hope that some, any of them will do very well. Mm. And mm. we don't do that. We mm. put a lot of money and time into a few. Yeah, and it has been successful, even if you've also had some failures, which is normal. It, I do think that your strategy of going in and doing work hands-on uh, creates this uh, connection uh, with the other founders, uh, which is different from just having a cold relation with a bunch of investors and venture capitalists or and uh, being Yeah, I'm there. Off. Yeah. yeah. I'm making messes with a coffee machine, mm. right? Mm. <laughs> but so would you, do you know, recommend this to others who would like to, uh, after their own maybe entrepreneurial journey, go into becoming business angels? I mean, this is also like a new method of a investing. A lot of the maybe. other founders who are successful, they will go and found another company. That's very, very, very common of... I think I counted once oh, a few years ago of the 24 people who I've worked with when they have become well off. Um, almost all have started at least one more company. Mm. Many, several. Uh, so I think that the, it's a very common thing to start another company. What we're doing, which is starting another company and realizing that, gee, okay, well, you guys go ahead and we'll try another baby. This is specialist of a certain stage. That seems to be more unusual. Mm. Mm. But sure, founders always go on and found another company. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's my question. Why do you think not more do like you? Um, if this is... I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but you would recommend it. It works really well. Yeah. And uh, from... Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yes. <laughs> In the roller coaster, as yeah. you used to say. Um because I'm just thinking that um, uh, otherwise if you invest money, huh, there's a different attachment to what happens with it. But if you invest yourself emotionally, it can be a bigger cost. I think it's much more courageous in a sense to to have this personal engagement and going there and every day and you grow together with the change the company is um, seeking to accomplish. So how do you... Um, I mean, is is it is it not harder for you to invest both emotionally and monetarily, or would it be harder even for you to only invest uh, with money? Hmm? I, I care more about the people who I spend a lot of time with. I don't think I'm unusual in that. Mm. Yeah. And uh, then uh, you know. Uh, do you sometimes need to detach emotionally as well? I have dogs, okay? I have, we have setters. They're hunting dogs. Uh, 
my husband hunts birds with him. They also basically determine the rhythm of life at home. Each setter lives around 12 years, somewhere if they're not run over or something like that. And we generally want one dog that's a great hunting dog and one dog that's either too young or too old. So every six years we buy a new puppy. And every six years there's a death right, in the family. It's a family member that dies every six years. And yeah, that's hard, but isn't it better to have lived and loved than not to have loved at all? I think there's a quite a something like that that's fairly famous. Yeah. Better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Mm. I think that's it. Yeah. And then you learn to handle those things. Well, yeah. you have to. That I noticed my mother, she's 92. Um, the first of her new close friends who died, she talked to me and everybody else about that quite a bit for months and months. She was very sad about that. And nowadays, when another of her friends dies, she's sad about it, sure, but she, it, it's more normal for her, mm. perhaps, something like that. Mm. It's something that's not enjoyable, but she does handle because she's learned to handle it. Right? Mm. Mm. I think that's the same with when you have dogs or when you have a bunch of startups. Mm. Yeah, so this was like a question where I wanted to learn how it is in your, both practically in your everyday um, work with the investments you made and how you feel about that. But I also wonder how it works a bit when you meet uh, these potential entrepreneurs who approach you and you said that, you know, you met quite some specific type of people who... Uh, who are those uh, that we often see as having lots of energy and they want to make it happen and so on. And how do you need to protect yourself from these over-enthusiastic becoming entrepreneurs? Uh, Or uh, is that fine? How does it work? I guess a lot of people uh, approach us. uh, And since we actually honestly work in the startups we can't do many okay it's only usually around one investment a year because we're usually three or more years in each startup so we say no an awful lot Valerudden Partners investment company consists of Jane's closest family and their strategy is to keep an eye on very early stages of commercialization of research from Swedish universities, where they evaluate the potential of deep tech in relation to positive impacts on the world. In these early stages, secrecy is key where the current investment is in Uppsala is kept in stealth mode. Early stages of uh, deep tech transfer is one of the most difficult stages to invest in. So um, how do you make your evaluations of the technology content? Oh, for goodness sakes, it's uh, a lot of feeling and then some research. Google's good and then we find professors to ask, usually. Okay, so so it means that um, uh, within your investment company where you work uh, uh, very closely with your husband and daughter. Uh, You don't have any specific uh, technical expertise yourselves. You always uh, try to learn or uh, you haven't any area of preference then? 
Well, right now it's only deep green tech for the living planet. Just that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that the startups that are public at the moment, uh, it's been that way for now three and a half years, four years. So we have one called Swedish Algae Factory, which uh, grows algae in nutrient-rich water. The algae grows, makes the water clean. You have algae, you separate the algae itself from the shells. The algae itself becomes great fertilizer. And the shells are special. They turn UV light into visible light, which means that when you spread them on uh, solar panels, the solar panels are 4% more effective. It also is good to have in facial creams, because SPF, uh, great stuff. That's one. That's definitely good for the living planet. And it is deep tech. It's patented. It's from Gothenburg University and Chalmers. Uh, another one that's public uh, is Graphotech. It's in Uppsala here. Uh, comes from Ongström Lab, where we're sitting now. Um, and what it is is a uh, well, okay Swedish algae factory with two female co-founders, uh, Angela Wolf, a professor, and uh, Sophie Allert, uh, who was at Chalmers Entrepreneur School now. Graphotech, uh, the founder is Mamoun Tahir. He's from Syria. And he was in Ulf Jansson's lab here in Uppsala doing his postdoc when he made an amazing discovery of how to keep graphene flakes separate when mixed into other stuff. And now Graphmatech uh, makes better metals. Right? Uh, so that we add a couple kilos of graphene to a ton of metal, and for copper becomes 40% more conductive. Uh, Inconel leads... Uh, heat, 30% better. It's absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, so those are the two that are public. We have two that aren't public. Right? Yeah. Right? So do you feel you know, curious about new technology? Do you yourself want to learn more about new technology? Or uh, is it more organizing the, the transfer of the research results, which you would think more heavily about? Oh, we're always very involved with the technology. Okay. Banks has a um, machine learning one on the edge called Econo from uh, Boros Högskola. Uh, and there he's, you know, he's taught numerical analysis, multivariate analysis at university. He knows his stuff and he's really caught up. He's, he's kept up with machine learning. He knows all the algorithms. So mm. yeah, he's useful there. Right? Mm. Yeah. And we, Carolyn and I both, will happily learn whatever technology necessary. Yeah. And uh, and then even by by like visiting other professors and showing um, you know the the research that you have found to learn do you do you sort of say try to get other experts' perspectives on the technology you want to invest in or do you mainly talk to those who approach you or uh, with their technology most of the ones who approach us we don't go there's so much incoming that we don't actually bother with the outgoing as much as we probably ought to. Mm. Uh, that said, we want to make sure that the technology that we are considering working, spending five years of our lives on, is one that solves a problem that actually hurts. Mm. So that's what we check. Yeah. And have you had to develop any new methods for this evaluation over time? No. Not really. No. It has just... We invest in two or three people, okay? Two yeah. or three people with an idea, maybe a patent application. Yeah. And do you always get along in this uh, family setup of investment company? No, not always. Um, thank goodness. 
And no, we work together well. It works fine. Yeah. But you have to come to some consensus or... Oh, any one of us can say no. Uh-huh. And then it is no. Okay. Hmm. So hmm. all three of us have to say, yeah, sure, we'll do this. And one of us has to say, and I am the one who's going to spend the next five years doing this. Hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. Oh. And has it been hard to say no at some point? Yeah. Yeah. I had yeah. one this last this last winter. I was really having trouble saying no to. Okay. Oh. But you had to. You felt you had to. Yeah. The references turned out just awful. Oh. Okay. Mm. Well, but then it can't be have, have been hard to explain anyway. that to your family. Huh? Oh, no, no. No, no, no. Mm. no well, they, they really wanted me to, to quit that before. But uh-huh. but okay. uh, finally... I can't believe you're considering working with that complete asshole. Mm. Okay, well, mm. oh, yes, I agree, yes. Well, he has mm. been. Mm. Uh, okay. Well, good you found out <laughs> then. Yeah. Mm. 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 Yes. Um, so uh, when uh, your early uh, steps of commercialization is... Uh, pursued by you uh, when are they ready to get out of this stealth mode when they have applied for enough patents usually so that uh, other companies in the same industry would have difficulty to compete or when they need to go out to a wider group of customers not just talk to one or two, but talk to 40, right? Mm. Uh, or when they feel they need to recruit more widely and they need to present what they're doing to the world and not just go through friends of friends. Mm. Mm. So is it mainly because they n- uh, need to have this uh, patenting um, and uh, where you have to keep things secret, otherwise you won't be given a patent? Or is it also out of strategic reasons you don't want any attention to this little bubble that you need to, uh, you know, facilitate. Uh, well, it's those three reasons. E- e- mm. Patenting mm. and uh, enough customers. Mm. If you can, mm. if you can, if you have enough interested from just the first few customers, then you don't have to go out into many more just to begin with. At least. Mm. Mm. And in the same way, if you can recruit enough of the right kind of people through your own contacts, then you're fine for a little while longer mm. as well. Okay, a lot so of it's about mm. patents. Yeah. Okay. So you mean that um, you know it shouldn't be a trouble to find customers even in stealth mode? Because I was just imagining that if you're not that secret about it, maybe uh, it would be easier to find customers. Even it depends on the company. If you Mm. have a few large customers, yeah, then you can talk to them, Mm. even when you're in stealth mode, right? You Mm. can say, sign this NDA, and we'll show you a miracle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you think that's uh, particular for? Uh, companies based on research and deep tech? No, I would imagine that it's even worse for those that aren't because then you really have to get somewhere, have built something mm. uh, which gives you a head start against the competition before mm. you go out and launch it. Mm. And but is Patents that are a protection. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, yeah, just thinking if it is that common... Uh, to talk about stealth mode generally. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Pretty common. Yeah, yeah. So it will be exciting then because I think these two stealth mode uh, companies are soon coming out in the open? Or Well, one, I, yeah, 
the Uppsala one should really be out by now, but it's not. So another couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah. Uh, okay. I hope. The other one, <laughs> the, the the more international one, that'll take a while. Okay. Yeah. And is it the other one that your daughter is helping out with? No, more? she's in the Uppsala one. Okay. Maybe I'll invite her then. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> and um, still, I think um, uh, it is interesting how you do choose to turn to Swedish universities and work with researchers quite closely and try to learn the technology and help them in this very difficult stage of uh, pre, uh, what you call it, like pre-seed. Is that what you call it? No, Pre-everything. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, and um, uh, I know that they have um, asked you to give some advice to the Swedish government, and you worked uh, for three years uh, giving some uh, of your time to the Swedish uh, Innovation Council. Uh, what was how was that? And right, so the Prime Minister who has just left, actually, her name is Stefan Löfven. Uh, had gone to Ekvenjörsvetenskaps Akademi, which I have no idea what it's called in English. Um, Swedish Royal Swedish Institute of Engineering, or Academy of Engineering, something like that. And they had done a um, report, which I had nothing to do with, about how one should help innovation and how one should organize it. And so we just took that report, which he was involved in developing, and did it. So he brought his five of his heaviest, or heaviest, most influential um, ministers, uh, finance, the, the five most influential uh, ministers, and then their uh, secretaries, and then ten of us other people into a group called the Innovation Council. And there they brought up different things they wanted changed, and then we... The to the ten of us uh, did as best we could, suggesting things that might work. And thank goodness there was no note-taking during the meeting, so we didn't have to agree on the exact words. We could just come up with the, you know, the next 30 ideas, and then the politicians wrote furiously down 30 ideas and then decided which of the ones they would actually make into reality, and they made quite a few into reality. It's been lots of fun. Okay. And um, so how many experts was it they had invited in? So you ten of us. Ten. Uh, yeah. yeah, so there was um, Daria Isakson, who was at the... P- now she's GD of uh, Vinova, but uh, then she was a design entrepreneur. There was Meng Meng Du, who used to be marketing at Spotify. There was me. There was Johan Rockström, who's uh, in environment. There was one president at least of a large tech company for a while it was Ericsson and then it was Volvo um, and there was uh, Skoog's Industry mm. and there was SS Holiday yes. and um, so on mm. yeah. and so of us. yeah so that's quite a mix uh, between business and research institutes and also topics so Johan Rockström from the then the Stockholm Resilience Center I guess and mm. so um did you talk then about uh, responding also to interconnected challenges in the future and this um, interest of your investment company to look more into the green solutions, for example? No, I think that... No, it was more, okay, so how do we make um, the Swedish public sector be digitalized? 
was one of Darja's things. There was a guy named Ulla Asplund who was senior advisor at El Lo, who I really like. Um, but he knew how to make things politically work and how to get them actually into reality. And he also cared about things that would create good jobs in Sweden. Mm. And I do too. Mm. So we were generally in violent agreement about what needed about the goal of what we were doing which is make keeping Sweden to be a good place to work and live and be mm. and that means a good environment and it means good and well-paying jobs and a good education and a innovative economy and all that sort of thing and what was good about the group was that we all had different perspectives on those same questions and so that we could come up with quite good variety of suggestions for fixing various different challenges yeah and but you were were you the only uh, representing the investment side or was there anyone else or was it then mainly i mean these uh, vinova well, as you know they do they do vinova wasn't there this was daria who yeah, was yeah. a business Before. angel and a des- design well, a little bit of a business angel but mostly a design entrepreneur mm. uh, and also very very interested in the digitalizing the Swedish public sector. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, and then the bigger corporations, of course, they also the bigger gave Bigger corporations uh, and people who cared about And Meng Meng Du was mm. also a business angel. Okay. Just from Stop- Spotify, more marketing. Mm. There was... Um, or there was Pam um, Friedlund from Göteborg University, mm. and after a while, when she was switched out, then turned into Sigrid uh, from GoTH. Yeah. yeah, I just meant that what was your particular contribution in this sense? Oh, I'm, a pr- I'm uh, an entrepreneur, so therefore yeah. give me a problem to think about. I will come up with 50 different ways that possibly might solve it. Mm. And, and that, that meant that everybody was writing like anything and people saying, no, not that one, and I don't care if one of my ideas isn't. I don't care if 50 of my ideas aren't taken. Yeah. But if I have enough of them, then one or two of them might actually be decent. Yes, and you said also that you could see some of it materialized. Yeah, yeah. Could a fair you amount of it, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. fun. Yeah, can you mention something Well, I mean, we particular? had all these ideas, and the polit- politicians did all the hard lifting of turning an idea into actual reality. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And um, do you think that, uh, I mean, uh, what they typically build up, for example, is a stronger innovation system uh, where um, actors such as... There's financial mm. things. There's how to make entrepreneurs better, uh, how to make the incentive structure more aligned for the entrepreneurs. It's about uh, the right kind of uh, making immigration of people who Sweden really wants easier. Mm. Even during the immigration the refugee crisis, you still need to get the specialists in. Mm. Let them jump the queue somehow, although that's awful, but we do need to do that. Uh, there's uh, social uh, insurances for entrepreneurs who otherwise, you know, they don't have, if you don't have much of an income, then you don't have much of a pension and you don't have much of a uh, sick penning or whatever you want to say, the the, the illness um, compensation. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed, right? Mm. Uh, There's ways of getting the university to become more, Innovative. There's ways of changing uh, university education to become more lifelong. Mm. There's all sorts of things that can be done, right? There's ways of trying to get companies out in the 
who are not in Stockholm or Uppsala or Gothenburg or Malmö uh, to actually work together and digitalize, right? That's mm-hmm. important. Otherwise, the jobs will disappear from those places because those companies will not survive. Yeah. So they need to work together and get it fixed. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. did some programs for that. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. things like that. Yeah. Just a lot. Because I'm very interested in if there are new methods coming up to respond to these interconnected challenges. And uh, it sounded as if that group then uh, mainly focused on this digitalization and... Of no, 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 everything. No. Everything. Yeah. Fossil-free Sverige. I mean, yeah. everything, yeah. 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 Fossil-free Sweden. Fossil-free Sweden, yeah. <laughs> Is one of the big strategies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Samverkans the program, the, the mm. uh, program for lighter materials and whatever all those yeah. things yeah. lots of them the the way it was organized was actually quite unique um it came from that royal academy of engineering report uh, mm. but i think that stefan levan was the first one and the only one so far to implement that organizational method mm. and it was extremely successful uh, one of the um, one of the members of the innovation group, uh, Charles Edquist, uh, is studies just how innovation policy is done. And so mm-hmm. he's written uh, quite mm-hmm. a bit about the way this was organized. Yeah. So if you now, as my last question, have the chance to think a bit uh, hypothetically and imagine an innovation system that is better equipped to facilitate solutions that respond to interconnected challenges, uh, what would this system look like? And what would be its main task? For example, the role of the state in relation to private investors and uh, similar aspects. Well, there's a few things that I think are obviously wrong at the moment. Uh, I don't know if that really answers your question, but one of them is that people expect to educate themselves until the age of 25 or so and then think they're done. That's terrible. We really ought to be educating ourselves to the point where we're reasonably competent at something and then going off and doing stuff for a while and then coming back and learning what we need to learn and then going off and doing something and coming back and learning and learning what we need to learn and doing evening courses or doing one week long courses or doing so that the university system is actually getting broken up at the moment not so much in Sweden yet but it is getting broken up by all these free courses uh, where you can actually hire people who do well on the AI courses that uh, Andre Ng does at MIT, right? And the top produ- the top students there get extremely good jobs, right? So that's one thing that really needs to change. We can't we ha- we can't believe that we've learned everything we need to learn at the age of twenty five. Mm. Uh, we're likely to need to work li- to work until seventy, and life is changing quite a bit. So we need to change that whole system dramatically. Mm. Um, I think that the fertility crisis is also something that's quite dramatic in many places, not so much in Sweden as it is in many other places, but young people need to be able to have kids before they're, let's say, 35, Mm. and preferably several, Mm. and combine that well with good careers. And that is difficult, even in Sweden. Sweden tries to make it easy, but it's extremely difficult in many other places. And that really needs to change. Um, Those are two things that really need to change. And I care an awful lot about the climate. And if we don't fix anything, 
really quite quickly, well, then there's going to be famine. Mm. There's going to be, say, the Himalayan glaciers all melt, which is not unlikely at all. Then there's a couple of billion people who will not be able to grow food, and they will migrate. Mm. Um, they will starve. People who care about women's rights, what will happen to little girls in those situations? They're sold, right? as brides at the age of eight or nine. Mm. That's not so great. Mm. So we need to fix climate change, not only for the climate and everything else living on this planet, but also for humanity. Mm. We can't fix anything else unless we fix climate. Mm. So do you think the innovation system that you aided in developing, uh, I think it was then three years ago, um, um, is it apt for handling this problem that you are I expressing. don't know who the next um, prime minister will be. And I don't know if that prime minister will continue the extremely effective way of organizing a fair amount of work, uh, which was the Innovation Council. I hope that he or she does. It really works, and it isn't political. Mm. It doesn't have to be political. It's a really great idea, great way of organizing stuff. Well, thank you very much for that, Jane, and it was a pleasure to have you here at thank the Ångström Laboratory, and I hope to see you again. Absolutely, thank you.